Jordan Matthews, no longer a Philadelphia Eagle. He's been traded for Ronald Darby, and this is our first crossing broadcast since, and I know we are excited to break it down. Adam Lefko right here coming to you live from Margate, New Jersey, about to catch a bus to New York City. I got Kyle Scott. I got Russell Joy. Kyle, you already wrote on the website, Crossing Broad, uh, that you, you you were very um, down the middle, I thought, and I appreciated that. Like, you noticed both sides. Are you more on the we shouldn't have traded Jordan Matthews or this is a great trade? Where do you stand on it now? Ooh, uh, I, well, yeah, I'd say I'm definitely more on the should not have traded Jordan Matthews. I mean, we spent a whole show last Wednesday or Friday, I don't even remember, talking, listing all our reasons why we thought trading him would be foolish. Uh, as far as the trade goes, like on paper, it looks like a good trade. I'm happy about Ronald Darby. I, I wrote this in the piece, but if like you could have just written the type of player the Eagles needed this year, a young high upside corner with two years left on his rookie deal, who's you know got potential starting number one cornerback talent, then that seems perfect. But I I just don't like the concept of giving up Matthews. I don't trust Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman's won a lot of trades on paper. I and mean, there's a million things to unpack here, so I won't go all at it all at once. But high level, to answer your question, I'm I'm on the downside of the trade while acknowledging that the trade is totally logical and could turn out to be very good. So um, I definitely came out very strongly on the I like the Ronald Darby aspect of this. Um, and look, this is the thing is that when I look at uh, the other part of the Bills trade so that the Rams gave up EJ Gaines, a cornerback, not nearly as good as Ronald Darby to get Sammy Watkins. And there's an exchange of picks. And then I looked at our trade and that it, the Eagles gave up a third rounder and Jordan Matthews showing that there was more value on the Buffalo side. Um, I look at it now just for everybody for for a contract sake and all that. Jordan Matthews is owed one point one million in his final year. Darby has two years left, eight hundred thousand and one million in his last two years. For everybody that doesn't know who Ronald Darby is, Ronald Darby was a uh, cornerback at a Florida State that's taken can run in the four threes, um, insanely fast, really strong, good tackler. Uh, he is a, is a freak athlete. His first year in the league was really good. His second year was not so good. Let me also point out, two years ago, the Buffalo defense was really good. Last year, the Buffalo defense wasn't very good. Kyle, so your main point seems to be the fact that we're relying on the Nelson Aguilars and the other wide receivers and the two guys ahead of Jordan Matthews, Alshon and Torrey Smith, who have had injury problems, it seems like it's shakier ground than it would seem that the Eagles are making it to be, not just their third guy, but their most reliable guy the last three years. And I, just from reading your article, Howie has not had a good jo- done a good job of picking secondary guys in the past and that it could be concerning. That That's kind of the take that I got from you. Yeah, I think first first and foremost on the most basic level of the Matthews take, it's like – everyone watching the Eagles last year knew their biggest need, probably even more than corner, was like, man, you got to get somebody when, when somebody that he could throw to. It's it's not good for his growth. It makes the offense hard to watch. It's stagnant. There's really nobody other than Matthews who is any sort of a, a, a legitimate wide receiver in this league. So they go out, you get Alshon Jeffrey, you get Torrey Smith, you draft Mac Hollins, a guy who definitely looks like he's going to play this year. So you add pieces, all of which are question marks. Jeffrey gets a one-year deal. Uh, For my money, he's easily a top 10 wide receiver talent. I like him a lot. I think his, his, his abilities are right up there with the best. There's a lot of question marks about his game. He did have a PED suspension. He has had two seasons with nagging injuries and other seasons where he's played and been less effective due to nagging injuries, usually having to do with like his hamstring and legs. Now he's already got a little bit of a shoulder thing. I don't think it's that much to be concerned about, but there's a reason why he only got a one-year deal. He's got a little bit of a show-me-what-you-can-do show me contract. Torrey Smith, same idea. Two years, it, it, effectively the Eagles are only locked in for one year. It's super low risk. He has a lot of speed. He's high upside. Um, 
and then you take a look at Matt Collins. He's a rookie. And I know we all talked about how much we love the stiff arm and stuff. But again, you talk about blowing like preseason things out of proportion. It was one play. Like, let's let's all calm down before we, you know, declare Matt Collins the wide receiver of the future. So I think, yeah, you had this like you improved the position, but all the guys you improved it with, there's a reason I think you stockpiled is because there's a lot of question marks. And if you hit on one or two of them, you 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 have some semblance of continuity at wide receiver. But you trade the one guy who was a sure, I don't know if sure thing is the right answer, but it was the most, you could pretty much pencil in what you were going to get out of Jordan Matthews. And we've seen him playing in bad offenses. I don't know if you guys remember this. I used to do a post after almost every game in 2015 where Sam Bradford would throw a ball that would nearly get Matthews decapitated. Most of the times he caught it, but he was put in a bad spot at least once per game. He was in a he was playing with a bad, you know, a, a inconsistent quarterback and a bad offense. Last year, not great offense with a rookie quarterback. Um, you, you finally were going to give him the chance to be in a little bit more of a well-rounded offense with some continuity with his quarterback, with other receiving options to take some of the attention off of him he would be playing more of a natural slot position without getting you know outside and safety help I thought Jordan Matthews was the and we talked about this was the one guy who was like would give them an edge this year because you had a plus a potentially plus slot receiver and to trade him based on I know for before we talk about the return but to trade him thinking well okay well Nelson Aguilar's look good Matt Collins has looked good I guess Story Smith has looked good. I, I'm not even sure. Is to me feels like a little bit reckless and and like weirdly like Chip Kelly ish. Like, hey, this guy's had a great two weeks in camp. We can afford to lose Matthews. That that worries me a little bit. And I, if Alshon Jeffrey gets hurt, I'm fully convinced there will be at least two games this season where the Eagles are starting with Nelson Aguilar and Matt Collins as their two starting wideouts. And then when Carson Wentz is throwing screen passes all game and Blunt's getting tackled behind the line, we're all going to be wishing oh, maybe we shouldn't have gotten rid of the wide receiver death. This trade is like shades of Nerland's Noel being dealt midseason by the Sixers. You feel like you have a glut of players at a particular position thinking that, you know, you're going to give an opportunity to the, to other guys, and you think that you're solid, and, and you think that whatever asset you're going to get back is going to help your team. Now, I will say that the Eagles getting, getting Darby is exponentially better than the Sixers getting a fake first-round pick, but the, the point still holds. Trading a guy from what you consider a, a glut of, of wealth or, or wealth of riches or something like that, um, it we saw that it didn't work with the Sixers because once Nerlens was gone, once Joel went down with an injury, you were left with like Brashawn Holmes and maybe Julia Okafor until he got hurt. The, the issue that I have with the trade is, uh, just as you guys have said, it's a lot – it's a lot of pressure that you're putting on Nelson Aguilar. It's a lot of pressure that you're putting on your team to have Torrey Smith be a successful outside receiver and to not be a bust, for Alshon to stay healthy, to hope that Matt Collins really you know, steps up to the moment, that Bryce Treggs isn't a one-trick pony and that he's able to be a, a solid, well-rounded receiver. That's a lot. Now, the, the positive that I take away from it is he's 23, Darby. He's tw- a 23-year-old cornerback. We knew, we said before, you can't go into the season with Jalen Mills as your number one and whoever else they have at, at the other outside corner spot. You're going to get absolutely destroyed within your division. You'll never make it out of this division if, if Odell Beckham Jr. is being guarded one-on-one by, by Jalen Mills. I just don't see how that works. So now you've brought some legitimacy to your secondary. You add in Sidney Jones either late this year or at the start of next season. And it looks like you have a good young tandem of cornerbacks, which is, you know, maybe the best set of corners we've had since, I don't know, Lito and Sheldon. Certainly not ready to go like Troy Vincent. If it all works out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. um, So what are your thoughts on Darby? Because you're probably more well-versed in. Yeah. So let me so let me tell you that. um, Let let me just start off why I like this decision. And I'm going to be on the side of Darby on this. Like, I'm going to take a stand that I'm going to say I, I like the trade. Um, just so that in posterity, when we look back at these podcasts, I can be that guy. Um, I think the first thing that we need to realize is how hard it is to cut down an NFL roster to 53 guys. And to realize that, like, you have to always end up putting pressure on guys that maybe weren't ready for it yet. That's how it happens with every NFL team. You go, wow, 
you know, if, if there's one injury to a receiver, then this is all a house of cards. The true thing is, that's like every position group for every team in the NFL. If any team loses one guy, like I remember a few years ago, the Packers wide receiving core was insanely deep. And then Jordy Nelson was out for the year, and people were like, that moves Devontae Adams up to the two, and then who is the three? And it was like, that that's how flimsy all of these teams are. So I, I you know, people get thrown into the fire. The good thing is, is we're going to learn really quick also, okay, well, we're not extending Nelson Aguilar. Um, Injury-wise, could you imagine if there was an injury to Jalen Mills? You know what I mean? Like, if they hadn't made this trade and there was an injury to a cornerback, they'd be even worse off than they were before. So saying what ha- – I, I just have realized this weekend, debating back and forth, saying what happens if a guy gets injured, it's just it, – there's just too many ups and backs. Um, the future of this position, with what which Russ just said, is the second reason or that I really, really like this. Uh, Jalen Mills is 23, Darby's 23, Sidney Jones is 21, Rasul Douglas is 22. So we thought they ignored this position in the offseason, and now all of a sudden it is set kind of going forward, which is huge, uh, especially at a position that I do agree with Howie Roseman. I don't think it's – I don't think there's an epidemic, like he said, the bad cornerback play, but I don't think there's a ton of good cornerback play. And again, to Kyle's point, this needs to pan out. But the main reason is, man, there's a guy named Odell Beckham in our division. And Ronald Darby is one of the few players in the NFL that can run with Odell Beckham. And I mean legitimately run with Odell Beckham. Ronald Darby is not even like a eh, 4-3. It is a holy crap 4-3. And Sidney Jones wasn't going to be able to run with him. Jalen Mills wasn't going to be able to run with him. Ronald Darby, every now and then, you're going to be able to say, Let's just throw him out there one-on-one with Odell. And there's, there's just not a lot of people that are capable of that. Um, so I look at it, I, I think they decided very early on if they were going to give money to one of these receivers whose contract's coming up, they were going to pay Alshon. They were not going to pay Jordan Matthews. And when you factor that in and you factor in that you're getting Ronald Darby for two years, which – is is crazy. I mean, that that's a really big thing in the NFL. I think that it's harder to find Ronald Darby's in the NFL than it is to find Jordan Matthews. Um, but I will say, I thought it was very ironic. I get like this philosophical email chain that like I'm a part of. It's called like Farnham Street. And in it yesterday, they were talking about professionals versus amateurs, which I just thought was really funny. And And a few of them was um, you know, amateurs value isolated performance, professionals value consistency, this whole thing. And I'm sitting there going, you know, Jordan Matthews is a professional. And that's why I, I applaud him and I respect him. And there's a reason why the whole team was uh, apparently a wreck because he is actually a leader on the team. I, did you guys know that Jordan Matthews was one of the real vocal leaders of this team? Did you guys know that? I didn't. Yeah, the, I remember having seen that that he had been like a, a good mentor to other young players and he was kind of a glue guy with uh with Carson. That that was I think my initial hesitance to the, yeah, to the deal when, when I, I when I saw it when, as reported. When I heard that he was a leader and then I thought about what the Eagles leaked earlier this offseason that they believed that Jordan Matthews was milking his injury because of his contract. Remember that story? Yep. Because he was milking yep. his injury because of his contract, not because he was actually hurt. I don't – maybe they didn't want him as a leader in the locker room. You know what I mean? Like, because this has been the off-season of, of downgrading a leader unless, you know, they're trying to make people more comfortable in him leaving. I don't know. I know I said a lot there. Which is weird when you're trying to trade a guy. I've thought about, like, the dichotomy there. We've talked about how they were sort of smearing Matthews. But on the other hand, you tweeted it, Adam. They ran three plays to him right away the other night being like, nope, actually we're trying to feature him. Goodbye. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that the Bills threw their first three passes to Sammy Watkins, traded them. The Eagles threw their first three passes to Jordan Matthews, traded them. And there's there's definitely something to that because, you know, the Bills might after the game, they're going, okay, so look, let's see uh, Jordan Matthews has three catches. Let's just turn on the game film real quick. Oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. Okay, I feel comfortable with him now. The other yeah, thing yeah. that I, that made me think was just from covering the league is I wrote this down a few days ago. Sean McDermott, when they signed Anquan Bolden, the Buffalo Bills, 
they said, you know, we're trying to, to really focus on a good culture here in Buffalo. And Jordan Matthews, from all the I'm hearing, is 100% a culture guy. Ronald Darby, when you read all the quotes the last few days, he doesn't sound like a guy that's a big culture guy. He's, but I, mean, I don't mean he's a bad guy. He doesn't he's just sound not intelligent. Speeches. <laughs> yeah, like his interview with, with, at the airport, yeah. I, went, I went, okay, he's a cornerback. I've met these guys before. Uh, he's, not a, he's not breaking down the analytical schemes. Each week he's not going to tell you, like, like I, I'm not going to say he's dumb because I don't know, but he, it didn't seem glowing from the interview. But, um, you know, he's the kind of guy that's going to go out there and do his job, where Jordan Matthews is going to be a guy walking around from meeting room to meeting room. But I think the Eagles do have other leaders. And you know what? Carson Wentz, you know, strap more onto that back. I'm sorry. The only other thing that scares me, Kyle and Russ, is that Sean McDermott is a DB guy. That's what he was with the Eagles. That's what he's always been, is a defensive coordinator with a focus on the secondary. And... He, he did some wonders when he was in Carolina with some rookies, and it does scare me a little bit that he was willing to move on from Ronald Darby unless he thinks he can coach up the other guys. That was my only other thought is a guy whose specialty it is just traded the uh, guy in his specialty, and that scares me. But Yeah, because it's also not like he's up for a, for a new deal. I think like one of the underrated aspects of the, the trade is that third-round pick. So going into to next year, for those who haven't seen it, I'm guessing most have, the Eagles now do not own a second or third round pick next year. They've got a one, four threes, or I'm sorry, three, three fourth round picks, five, six, seven. One of those fourths is a conditional, it could be a conditional third. It all depends on whether or not Eric Rowe plays 50% of the defensive snaps for New England, which I think based on last year, we can probably assume he will. So then they would have a third, but as it stands right now, they don't. That was just a little yeah, side note. No, yeah, I think that's something that is getting glossed over too. I mean, a third is not—it's not a throw-in pick. A third next season is a, is a you know relatively substan- substantial draft pick. Um, yeah, Adam, I'm glad you brought up the the Bills and their view on Darby. Like everything you said about him, and and everything that's been written about him and how good he was his rookie year. Like I'm all in on that. If this works out, this could. Like you said earlier, Russ, the cornerback situation could be relatively stable over the next however long. Like they do have three young, talented players. They have addressed that need this offseason. Sidney Jones is a is certainly a risk with an Achilles injury, uh, playing a position where speed is paramount and quickness. But by all counts, he's he's a first round pick if he's not injured. Um, you know, Rasul Douglas, same deal, and. And now Darby, like, could be a legitimate cornerback number one. So I'm, I'm like, nodding my head with all of those things. And if it pr- turns out to be the case, then, yeah, the Eagles are going to win this trade. Yeah. But like you said, Adam, if you're, on the, if you're the Bills, and I know they've done a little bit of a purge here, and I know Darby came back down to earth last year, and there's, you know, there's a lot of reasons why they may, may have been willing to trade him. I feel like there's there's always two sides to every trade, and Bills fans, by all accounts, are are not particularly happy about this. So that makes me feel better. Um, then again, this is a, you know this is a fan base that jumps through tables at, at uh, tailgates, but uh, you know, like it, the other team decided this guy wasn't so good that he was untradeable, and Howie yeah. says, "Well, hey, young corners don't come available much." It, I would take pause for a moment and consider. Okay, why was he available? Is it just because he was part of a bad defense last year and they're maybe undervaluing him? Maybe. Or is there something else where they're like, yeah, actually, like he's talented, but he's just maybe he's not that much of a heady player. He's not, you know, we feel like we can replace that. Who knows? We don't know the answer to that, but that's definitely something to consider. The other part of this, um, from a high level strategy offseason standpoint, I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this because we're. I see a lot of people say, well, Matthews was on a one-year deal or he had one year left on his deal. He was going to leave at the end of the year. Yeah, most likely he probably would have. Um, But those same people, for the most part, applaud the Jeffrey and Blunt signings. Now, I know you can't, they're not necessarily apples to apples. And if Jeffrey works out, there's a good chance the Eagles will try and re-sign him. But part of the reason there was all these one-year deals, not wholly 
Um, well, I guess it is different. But like, th- there was a thinking to signing one-year deals the same way the Sixers had a, a thinking this year to signing guys like J.J. Redick to a one-year deal. And it wasn't so much cap considerations, but it was Howie is, is, was, is trying to toe the middle ground this offseason, I feel like, with an eye towards the future by, by not going out and being crazy in free agency like he has done in the past. By building from the inside out through the draft, I, I, we talked about how we liked their draft strategy. He's done a nice job of that. And then you sign guys like Jeffrey and Blunt, and the the I think the real reason most of us looked at those things and we're like, oh, that's odd. Like the Eagles aren't ready to compete for a Super Bowl. Why would you go out and and you know bring in quote unquote premium premier players if for one year if you're not ready to really compete? And the answer to that question was always. Well, he's giving Carson Wentz options on offense. These might not be his long-term guys, but you want to you have a this guy you're building your franchise around. You want to give him the opportunity to be successful and not stunt his growth in his second year. So even if that means you know a head-scratching signing here or there, you are at least putting a respectable offense on the field while at the same time not completely mortgaging your future. So when you say, "Okay, well Matthews was leaving at the end of the year," My response is like, yeah, but this whole thing is built around Carson Wentz. And in his second year, the Eagles wanted to do everything they can, and they have shown that they're willing to do everything they can. Like, There's no other reason to sign Blunt and Jeffrey. And, I mean, Torrey Smith has a little bit. He's got a two-year deal, so if he's successful, they can keep him around. But specifically, Jeffrey, like you do these deals to give Carson Wentz some weapons and see what he could do with decent weapons so you really know what you have before you decide that the entire fate of your franchise is in his hands. And maybe they've, it sounds like they've already decided this. When you trade Matthews, you take away the one guy he was most comfortable with, his favorite target, not only a friend, but I think someone emailed me the other day. I forgot about this. I think they went to Haiti together to build houses in the offseason. Like, they were apparently very close. And it sounds like just in the days since, we're learning how close they were. And for as much as an organization sits there and talks about emotional intelligence and, you know, why Chip Kelly was tone deaf to these sorts of things and treated players like assets, I don't know if you have to consult your second-year quarterback on a trade like this. I don't think you have to. However, it does feel like a little bit of a Chip Kelly-type move to be like, you know what, this is this guy's best friend. He's his favorite target. Our one of our stated offseason goals was giving him every weapon possible, making him feel comfortable, not ever giving him an, an anemic offense like he had last year. And you take away the one guy who is the most sure thing, even though he might be a B player at best. He's a very, he's a very solid B player who was finally going to be playing in his role, who developed a rapport with the quarterback. Yeah, and to me, I that think, part uh... of it, there's no, like it doesn't jive. There are two strategies to build for the future and give Wentz options. And now they just sort of like are starting to pull away from that options pile by trading Matthews. Well, I let me let me uh, I'll I'll kind of say that I think I think there are a lot of options still there, but I don't think they're at the wide receiver position. And then I also think that maybe they wanted to separate Wentz and Matthews. Um, I, they're very good friends, but um, I don't know. There there's it's going to go from a very cordial place now to a very professional place right now. Uh, I think Jordan Matthews is like undoubtedly a great guy, but I think that the Eagles, like Zach Berman says this all the time. Zach Berman says that Jordan Matthews is very talented, uh, but he doesn't believe the Eagles think he is. And that's, that's the only evaluation that matters is the Eagles. I also think that they've seen Alshon Jeffrey and they want that rapport with Carson Wentz to be that good. But when you look at the options, so look, they tried Jordan Matthews on the outside. He couldn't get separation. He could only play in the slot. And I think they looked at it and went, well, here's the deal. We're going to put Sproles in the slot occasionally. We're going to put Pumphrey in the slot occasionally. We want to put Nelson Aguilar in the slot. We want to put Mac Hollins in the slot. Sometimes we want to move Zach Ertz to the slot. Sometimes we want to move Trey Burton to the slot. And occasionally we're going to move Leonard uh, LeGarrette Blunt to the slot. So I think they look at that position of the field as rotational and to be a wide receiver in this in the, in this NF league that can't get legitimate separation on the outside is such a value diminisher. It's crazy. Like it's really a huge issue if you are not capable of separating on the outside. And I think what they're thinking is is 
look, I know he has this great rapport with, with, with Jordan Matthews, but we think there's other guys that are more explosive and more talented that we want him to establish that rapport with. Now, back to what I was saying about the Buffalo and, and you know, it's a little bit scary. They did invest their first, one of their first-round picks already in Tredavious White and EJ, and they traded for EJ Gaines. Um, and then at wide receiver, I, I think that why the Bills made this trade is similar to why the Eagles made their trade. The big move for the Bills was getting rid of Sammy Watkins. It was not getting Jordan Matthews. Like in Buffalo, they're talking about Sammy Watkins. They're not even talking about Ronald Darby. And the issue was that Sammy Watkins couldn't stay on the field, that it was a huge issue. And they said, you know what? We're going to make these two trades, and we're going to end up with Jordan Matthews, who is more consistently going to be there. And then that is the fear now for the Eagles, is they gave up someone that's going to be consistently there for Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith to get featured more in Nelson Aguilar. And I'll tell you what, it's and to make their secondary, you know, the, something that they, it goes from a negative to a positive really quick. If, if they get hurt, Kyle, you're absolutely right. If they don't, this trade looks great. The other thing I want to talk about is you guys were tweeting with somebody uh, that you tweeted something about uh, an Eagles fan saying that the, the Eagles Super Bowl window starts now. And you said it was crazy. I, I think it's correct. And I don't mean that all of a sudden this move made them a more Super Bowl-ready team, but I think I, I really agree with the part that said that we are in a certain window right now in the next – we have like four years, including this year, of having a quarterback on a very manageable salary. This is when the Seahawks built their little run. This is when the Steelers with Big Ben had a lot of success. This is when the Ravens and Joe Flacco, every team, Andrew Luck, when they went to all those AFC championship games, before Carson Wentz gets his contract is really our chance to really build because once we have to pay him, now look at all those teams. The Seahawks don't have depth. The Ravens don't have depth. The Colts have had depth issues. It changes. So I really think that we're in a position right now where we need to start making runs in the next three to four years at a Super Bowl, just point blank. And I, I was kind of hoping to go into this year and going, you know what, I just want to see improvement, but nah. Like Jason Peters has like a year left. Um, all these guys, like what the offensive line is going to be. But I think the big thing is going to be Carson's contract because you can't have Carson's contract and Flexer Cox's contract and expect to have a lot of depth other places. You just can't. And, yeah, the, the Super Bowl run kind of starts now. And I think it's, I think it's big that Zeke's uh, suspension happened. I don't know if it's still going to be six. But look at the Eagles, man. Their front seven on defense is really, really talented. Now their secondary has a lot of talent. And they're, like, they, are, they are loaded every single position. And this is a team that should – be capable of going to the playoffs and making a Super Bowl run. And it's the reason Doug Peterson made those Packers comments, didn't think it out well a few weeks ago. And the true thing is, is the reason I'm excited, okay, now we're going after it. And if it doesn't work out, we know who to look at. So we'll see how Dougie does. I just feel like we're going to look back at this. And We could. Do you guys remember those? And not necessarily the trade, um, like the, the – to what you talk about the Super Bowl run, do you guys know? Like, have you guys read? There's this phone out there, I guess, where it's it's made to be like a replaceable phone. So, like, whereas an iPhone's an all-in-one, you could upgrade your camera, your battery, your screen, like everything. It's sort of like a Lego phone where you can plug it in different parts, and so apparently you don't have to buy a new phone every year. You just buy a new camera element. And I've seen a lot of like tech articles written about this thing. Like to me, it feels like that's what the Eagles are trying to do with the team. Like rather than build one cohesive team it's like all these parts are being pushed together in a weird misshapen way like you talk like about doctor, okay like a frankenstein yeah of, like it's just a, it's, it's just an odd group of players and to sit here and say well we can make a super bowl ron it's like i don't i don't know if we can like in theory could there be the talent there uh yeah i guess theoretically uh, maybe not cornerback because you do have really you know, some really young guys and we just talked about how this is a position that's for the future so that's one position where you're you're probably two to three years out on if, if all these guys really start clicking 
uh, maybe a year, maybe a year if Sidney Jones comes back and is healthy. But you're probably like two years away on the cornerback spot. Carson Wentz is still in his second year. We've seen young quarterbacks can go to the Super Bowl. I don't think that is necessarily a, a knock on him. But like, I, I don't like Darren, you bring up like a Darren Sproles. Eventually, and it hasn't happened yet, eventually he's going to give out. Like, I don't know for how long Darren Sproles can continue to be. I think he's got be. like seven games left. What's that? Like I, I think he's got. I think Darren Sproles has maybe one this season left, and right. then I think it's done. Right. Yeah. So like, and you have Jason Peters. Like you have all these guys who are at the very tail end of their effectiveness. And if everything goes right, can the Eagles be a really good product this year? Yeah, I, I guess so. But you're you're there's a lot of ifs with the Eagles, and there, I know there's a lot of ifs with NFL. All NFL teams, but the you know the Patriots, the Seahawks, the Packers. These teams don't have the number of ifs the Eagles has. I mean, you need a lot of guys to have a a, a prime level year in one of their last years in the league. You need young players to step up and play above above uh, beyond their ability, and you need guys who to give you some sort of unexpected performance in other spots. So I don't I don't buy the notion that this team is is a Super Bowl contender now. And I saw like a Reddit post the other day and he's like, you know, we're in win now mode. And I, I worry about that because I don't think this is a win now team. So it just feels, I don't know. It just feels so damn weird. Like, I think we're going to look back how- on this one, one last point. I feel like we're going to look back on this in three years or four years and be like, God damn, like we, what were we thinking? Like, it feels like a Paul Holmgren type team where you just have this weird mix of young players and, and veterans who are really past their prime, and these big-name free agents like a Jeffrey who have huge question marks next to them and, like, are sort of like the the um, like the, the ugly stepchild of the elite free agent window. Like, Jeffrey could be great, but, like, he's never fully realized his potential. It just feels like such an odd construction of a team. And I don't know. Like, I—, I I just don't have faith in Howie. Like, that's what it comes down to. I don't have faith in Doug at all, and I don't have faith in Howie. And when I look at the team, I'm like, man, this would, like, we would need, like, I would consider it, like, 93 fills level of unexpectedness if this team were to, like, make a run deep into the playoffs. That's all I got. Russ, Russ, I've been talking over you. What do you got, my man? No, I I was just, uh, I'm just sitting back and kind of taking the whole thing in. I... I don't know if I think we're going to get kind of torn for the season between this this idea of is it that they have to compete for a Super Bowl or is it that they're going to like if if we look at it and say that based on the contracts they have and based on the skill sets they have and based on the the short term deals they have with guys like Alshon Jeffrey, LeGarrette Blunt, and and the end of career guys like Sproles and Peters like. I, I guess in theory it does make sense to say that that this is really your shot that you have to take, but I I cannot bring myself to to think that they're even the favorite in their own division, and it well, might no, just be me, you not. know and and I guess that's just you know maybe it's me being a pessimist but like if this is supposed to be their window based on all those factors, then that actually I think is more disappointing than anything because I've been looking at the Eagles as a team that I, I thought was like a, a solid three to five years away from competing. That I thought they would be competitive. No, but, definitely but not. I feel like that's but too not, long in the NFL. Like, I'm just saying, like, I I think three years was probably like the sweet spot for Carson as a as a player to come into his own with some of the defense getting getting older, getting better experience, guys on the offensive side of the ball that that they needed to, to have step up and drafting guys, especially on the offensive line that, that they could build with long term. I thought three years was was probably where they needed to be at. So this is so scary. So, this is a scary proposition to me. Is is what I'm saying. What yeah. What it sounds like to me when I'm like listening to you guys and I'm thinking about myself is it sounds like you guys are like oh shit, the pressure is on now and I wasn't ready as a fan for that because it, it's it, it was you know it's more it's more comfortable to have your expectations exceeded than when you're expecting the team to go to do well. The only thing I'll say is, is I went through because I'm a degenerate gambler and I, well, I'm becoming one and I'm very excited about it, actually. The um, Allen Iverson model. Well done. Yeah. So I went through and I looked at huge shifts in Vegas win loss projections from when to, from year to year and seeing like kind of how that thought, just cause I, I'm always curious, 
does Vegas overvalue certain teams or do they know certain fan bases and, and all that stuff? And what I saw is that, you know, the teams that made the crazy jumps, it was really the quarterbacks in their, in their second and third years. And uh, they exceeded expectation. So the Seahawks were expected to win three more games. They, they, they hit the over. It was Russell Wilson's second year. Oakland did that in, in Carr's third year, Luck's second year. There, those were constantly the situations where a team exceeded Vegas' expectation was one of these young quarterbacks in excuse me, their second or third year. And this is the sweet spot. Like that thing, Russ, when you were talking about waiting three years, they do not have three years to wait. They need to start winning with Carson Wentz in his second and third year. So uh, th- this is it. I'm I'm going to go. I am going to say that I am confident in this team. The Eagles are, I think, with the Titans, one of the two teams that nationally, when I listen to a lot of people and read a lot of things, there's this weird, quiet optimism um, from a lot of like betters and people that are projecting. The Eagles the Bucks, were one of perhaps. The Bucks are definitely up there. They're going to get overinflated because of hard knocks. Um, I'm actually going to – that's actually a really good idea. Thank you, Kyle. I'm going to go through the last six years of betting and see if the hard knocks teams hit the over or under on their win-loss total. I bet you they hit the under. That's a yeah. great – I'm totally doing that. Um, I'm going to do that on the bus to New York City today. Uh, what but, a day you have. What a day. Oh, super excited. The number one well, public transit enthusiast uh, guy I've ever met, Adam Lefko. Oh, it's great. I just sit there on the air conditioning and look up gambling odds. Um, but the Eagles, with, with, with what they're going to do this year. Oh, so the Eagles, I think, were one of the only, two, one of the only teams to finish in like the top ten in offense and defense in football outsiders, uh, with like DVOA and OVOA and all that stuff. So they've been secretly like the statistical pick a lot of like I look at the Eagles last year and it's hard for me to evaluate because when they had Lane Johnson, this team was fantastic. And then when he went down it all got thrown into disarray, I mean, if we were talking about this with the confidence of following that Eagles Steelers win last year in week three, I mean, that was the most confident I've heard Philadelphia in a very long time. And I just, I'm going to tell you guys, just rely on me. I'm feeling confident about this. You have to take some chances in the NFL. There's a lot of situations that if you look at it, if it breaks right, it's great. If not, it's scary. So Alshon, I know there's question marks. I feel really confident that Alshon's going to pass out. Do you guys? It's going I, to, like, it's going yeah. to, I like work him. Out. As a long lot. as he stays healthy. Yeah, but, like yeah, but no, no, Russ, Russ, no qualifiers oh, right okay. now. Do you think it's going to be good or do you think it's going to be bad with just Alshon? It should be good. Okay, so you're going to go good. Okay, Torrey Smith, do you think it's going to be good or do you think it's going to be bad? He's got question marks too. I'm going to go – I'm going to go good. I say mediocre at best. I think Mediocre. It's... Do you mean medium or mediocre? Because mediocre is kind of bad. I mean mediocre. I think okay, so I think he might have a couple games where he blows the top off the the defense, but I I don't I don't see him being a, a great think, guy Kyle? for them. I'm gonna go bad. I think the odds are uh, okay. not in his favor. Okay, Nelson Aguilar. Bad. What do you guys think? You guys are gonna Russ. What bad, but I bad, but I also think that they're going to hide him, like you were saying about the versatility they in the definitely slot. Definitely can't hide him. If Tory's on the outside and Alshon's in the outside, and we've talked, and you know, you were bringing up how they they might be trying to turn the slot into slot by committee, I think they certainly can try to hide him at least. Uh, okay, at least I I, I am not going to put my confidence in the Nelson Aguilar, and I hope to be you know like proven uh, proven differently. Uh, what were the other What were the other fifty fifties in this whole trade? Just- oh, like a Mac Mac Hollins. How much can he contribute this year? I think he's going to right. be up and down. He's a fourth-round rookie, so has he shown about, glimpses? Though, Does he look good in camp? Yes. What about, but... though, Ronald, Ronald Darby? Do you think he's going to be good, or do you think he's going to be bad? Because that was another question. I think he's going to have a rough good. first half of the year. Interesting. Because I'll, go, I, I, I'll go with learning, learning a new system. I don't, I don't know how some – well, oh, wait, maybe not, because wasn't Jim Schwartz his uh, – He was not his, his DC. No. It wasn't but he him? does know him from up there. Okay. Yeah, because he think... got he got kind of caught up. Darby did. That's the other thing is is a lot of people are like, wow, he had a rough year. 
that Bills defense under Rob Ryan and Rex Ryan was such dog crap last year, and the safeties were so bad. Like, I wrote down three questions I would ask Ronald Darby if I was a reporter in Philadelphia and if he was capable of answering such questions. And one of them was – because I don't know if he is. But one of them was, how differently are you going to be able to play with with Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod behind you? I mean, last year he had, like, Bakari Rambo. Like, he had – it was trash. So when you're fast and you have safety help, I think it's going to be great. The only other two questions I had for him were to compare the cultures and who's more impressive, Fletcher Cox or Marcel Darius, but that's just because I'm a nerd. But um, I don't know. I'm feeling confident. I think when I look at this trade, like Kyle said this earlier, it's not always it's not always great for both sides. I think this one is 55% in the Eagles' benefit and 45% the other way. And I think it, it comes down to like Alshon Jeffrey. If Alshon balls out, Jordan Matthews doesn't matter. He really doesn't. Because if Alshon gives us over a thousand yards and is that number one. We were going to be paying him anyway, and Jordan Matthews was not going to be part of the future. And improving the secondary as opposed to having Jordan Matthews for one year, uh, it's just not as valuable. There's more value in helping the secondary. So I think that I'm looking right now at we're facing, we're going right or left. We made a decision. There's downsides to going right, but I think overall there's more benefits to going that way too. As Sam Hinkie once said, sometimes – when the rest of the league decides to take a zig, it dictates that you then make a zag. Yeah, I just also want to say really quick, because Kyle, you asked me in the beginning, this is my last point, and I swear to God I'm done. You asked me in the beginning about Ronald Darby. Guys like this do really, like he was not exaggerating, they really do not come available, not only at any time, but especially after the first preseason game. It's just this is a building block piece, and I was shocked that it was available. Yeah, look, I'm not going to argue with you. And if if Alshon turns out to be really good and Darby reverts back to his first-year potential, I'm I'm acknowledging the Eagles can very much win this trade. I don't think this is like a stone-cold, hey, I I am so unhappy with this. I refuse to see the upside. I also don't think it is a stone-cold lock that it is – the right trade to make. And I, I do think there could be a, a scenario this year where we're really wishing Carson Wentz had Jordan Matthews to throw to. And if we're a little bit disappointed in Darby or he just turns out to be a middling quarterback, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, um, then I feel like, you know, I, I feel like questioning it. And this goes back to a point you talked about, like the fan base. And Russ, you brought this up on a previous show. Were Eagles fans as ridiculous as Flyers fans? And I kind of quickly disagreed with you with this season i'm seeing something different out of eagles twitter and the kind of group thing that takes over and it's beginning to feel a lot like sixers twitter under hinky which i think i think sixers twitter was right with hinky a lot of times um and we were quick to pounce on some of the old timers for their anti-process takes i'm beginning to feel that from the eagles this year and i don't think it's as deserved like, what Hinky was doing was super progressive and controversial, but a lot of those moves, like, I, I, first of all, I feel like he is way more intelligent than anybody the Eagles have in their entire organization from top to bottom. So there's that. I think what he was doing made a lot more sense than the way Howie Roseman is trying to build the team. And granted, the leagues are they're two different leagues. But I feel like Eagles Twitter is, like, so quick to put their stamp of approval on everything Howie Roseman has done this offseason. And again, on paper, most of these moves look good. But again, on paper, Howie Roseman has made a lot of good trades and and acquisitions, and very few of them, like way less than 50%, have really panned out, at least on on the big marquee ones. And I I remember being on, um, I was on BGN Radio once a week with John Barchard and, and Brandon Gowton and those guys last year when they were on WIPs on Saturdays. And after that third game, I went on, and I remember John saying to me, um, I've, th- this Eagles team, they're prob- like, probably going to go undefeated in the division. Like That is the way they were talking. And I remember saying to him, I was like, man, look, like I am as excited as anybody, but let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Like Let's just not get out ahead of our skis. And I think, I think like, 
I'm beginning to feel like there's a little bit of like groupthink with the Eagles that wasn't there before. Like Eagles fans were historically negative and perhaps for good reason. Like this is a team that has never won the Super Bowl. And people are telling me with the blunt thing and with with this trade, like, dude, you're being too negative. Why are you always so negative? Like to answer that question directly, I've been I started this site at the end of 2009. The Eagles have not won a playoff game the entire time I've been running the site. Like I have gone through like multiple life changes, like a like a half a generation of like life changes, and the Eagles have not won a playoff game since t- 2010. The Flyers went to the finals. The Phils were good through 2011. Since then, our local teams have won a combined two playoff series, and both the Sixers and Flyers lost in the second round. So like. There's good reason a lot of times around here to be negative, as unfortunate as that sounds. And I I don't think we can, like, I don't think that means we always have to be negative, but I feel like, man, people are just, like, so quick to be like, yep, this is the winning trade. You may not have an alternative opinion to this. You may not address the other side. You may not bring the human element into it because that is not analytics and you're not looking at the cap. I'm like, man... I don't know. Like there, there's there's a gray area in this trade, yeah. and I feel like there's a lot of Eagles fans who do not want to acknowledge that. I I appreciate. This is why I liked your your article, Kyle. I went, wow, he illustrated all the goods and all the bads. I think that it's I think it's very stupid to say that a trade is a win or a loss right away. Like I have arguments. We used to have arguments at Bleach Report all the time about on the NFL draft giving a, a draft pick a grade. Like, it's not even smart to give a grade three years after the draft pick, let alone, like, three seconds after. Um, so I, I think that if you go into this and you kind of go, I see how it could be good, but I also notice how it could be bad, that's the right way to approach this. I'm going to admit something right now. I inherently, with the Eagles, tend to, ra- to, to rationalize for them why something is good. I've learned this about myself. I'm trying to fix it, but there's a lot of times where when they make a move, I figure out how to justify it to myself. And so I'm just going to admit that on this podcast because I want everyone to know where I'm coming from and I don't want to be biased or anything like that. But I inherently think I try, like, because I want them to succeed, my brain naturally sees the benefit in it. But I think this one is, is sort of a wait and see. The reason I love this too, Kyle is it is truly a move that we can look at at for Howie and we can evaluate him. And if it doesn't work out well, then we can take away power. If it does work out well, then we, we continue to let him build. But Howie needed more. That was the problem with Chip Kelly the most was we went back and went, well, which moves were Chip and which moves were Howie? This is the offseason that we should write all of them down. And then at the end, we should put either a green check or a red X so we could truly evaluate because he truly made a lot of decisions this offseason that will determine whether or not this team goes forward in the right direction. Bit of a breaking news thing here is from Pro Football Rumors. Uh, Not really breaking news, but uh, so I don't know the validity of this. I'm just reading it on Twitter right now. But Eagles trading Jordan Matthews to Bills won't stop them from signing him in free agency should he reach the market in 18. Whatever. Uh, That's that's like such a whatever story. (laughs) Like, yeah, if he wants to come back, like uh, maybe, but uh, yeah. But uh, like, I, if if any Eagles fan picks this up and throws this at me, like, see, they can get him back. Like, I'm I'm going to every single person who tweets me that I'm going to go through their timeline and find the tweet where they said Jordan Matthews wasn't resigning here anyway, and I'm gonna I'm gonna retweet every single one of those people because I guarantee you there will be just, people who use that as a line of argument who said Matthews wasn't so well. signing here. It just shows you how rattled Philadelphia fans are psychologically that we would jump onto this. It's like it happened once. Cliff Lee did it once. Oh, and now no, all of a sudden no one's every jumped onto it yet. No and now well, they will. Oh, they certainly will. Because well, that no, narrative will probably Because it's every time Tory Smith drops a ball or Nelson Aguilar drops a ball and people start having, you know, buyer's remorse, even if Darby is a good player and Nelson Aguilar, you know, has an increased role on this team and he's dropping third and six when we knew that Matthews was more likely, uh, you know, a reliable guy on on that play, felt like this is a Philly thing to do. People are going to second guess it the entire season, and then if Jordan Matthews is even remotely successful in Buffalo, people are going to want to bring him back. It's what we do. It's not just Eagles fans. It's what Philadelphia fans do. A guy leaves or a guy is traded away, and then the second he hits free agency, there's always that thought of, "Ooh, I wonder." The Flyers fans did it with Scott Hartnell. They did it with Yarmir Yager. 
the Sixers fans will do it again. Like it, it, it happens. I agree. And it's okay. I agree with Russ here. Actually, I want to say though, I want to appreciate Jordan Matthews. The man showed up in NFC East games. I mean, when you look through his career, and I sent out a tweet like later last week after the trade, just because I went through and calculated what his numbers were. I mean, he had so many games against uh, the Giants and the Cowboys in Washington that was like 11 catches, 10 catches, 9 catches. His thing, though, was, and, and when you look at his numbers, he was typically, in all those games, five or six catches for 70, 80 yards and maybe a touchdown. That was what his numbers were. And I just think the Eagles looked at it and went, we, we, can, get, we can get bigger and and he was very reliable, and I appreciate reliability, but I like this move. Um, guys, I, I kind of like this being just a trade podcast. Are you okay with that? Yeah, it works for me. Okay. Um, I just want to – the only other thing I want to say is because is I don't think he's, he's getting props, but uh, Philly's tickets, tickets right now I can imagine are so cheap that if, if I was living in Philly, and I think I'm going to do this when, when they play against the Mets next month in New York, um, I would go and see Aaron Nola because Aaron, what you're seeing right now is history. It can't be more that much more expensive to go see Nola, and that stadium is definitely empty. In his last 10 starts, he has an ERA of 1.71. He is the first Philly since 1893. That's when they invented the mound to allow two runs or fewer in 10 straight starts. That is crazy. And he is on pace to finish with an ERA less than 3.15 and with a strikeout per nine inning ratio over nine. And he would join only Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, and Kurt Schilling. So my thing is, is if you want to go to a Phillies game, wait until the day Aranola's pitching and then buy a ticket because it's not going to cost a lot of money. But you should go see this guy because, you know, the whole team is whatever. But this guy is still killing it right now. and It's awesome. And if you want to enjoy baseball, I would also suggest trying to queue it up at a time that Michael Franco is not is not playing, unless you want to see a guy who legitimately has hit under 260 every month this season, and is hitting his worst clip since April. His 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 batting average is 213. His on base percentage is 213. I thought Russ was going to say it. If you want to watch a football team win, you could check out the Philadelphia Soul on August 26th in the Arena Bowl Championship. I was excited for that. I mean, you wait can do sec- that too, I'm sure. I mean, Wait a second. Be, uh, wait, what? give me that Fra- Franco. Franco. So, what? Corey Seidman uh, tweeted this yesterday. So, Michael Franco's batting average and on base percentage by month April 213 and 273, May 218, 274, June 224, 284. July 255 315 is best month of the season and now August batting average 213 on base percentage 213. He hasn't walked. <laughs> it is weeks. it is mind-numbing so uh yeah, go watch Nola pitch, but watch n- literally nobody hit for him with the exception of like maybe Nick Williams. I watched the game yesterday and I I have to say like I, I love we, Nick Williams. We, I know that we want this to be a trade only podcast, but my god, like I watched that game yesterday and I don't know if I've ever been as frustrated watching a Phillies team. The only positive is knowing that they're not paying any of these guys a lot of money to be good at baseball yet. Yeah. All right. Well, let us know. Uh, leave a five-star review, at, please, and leave us a comment, kind of your take on the whole Eagles trade. I think it's interesting if, if you're willing, uh, people that are listening to this, uh, if you're willing to take a stand now on this trade, I think it's fun to look back and go, oh, I was wrong or, oh, I was right. But overall, enter with an open mind. The Eagles are making moves. Uh, for Kyle, for Russ, you got anything to say before we go? That's it. Awesome. Uh, have a great week. We will see you guys on Wednesday. And uh, hopefully, Ronald Darby ends up being the biggest baller that there ever was. See you guys. <laughs>